I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of College Basketball Weekly here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, up there in a fellow snowed-in area of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, my good friend, fellow University of Tennessee alumni, Will Warren of statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe today, the best college basketball website that money can buy. Go, go become a subscriber today, if you're not already. It's the middle of the college basketball season it's five bucks right there stats by will dot substack dot com type in your email that easy that simple do it today will good evening sir how are you great and you know what might as well announce my little special i'm running that'll mm. be out by the time this posts uh eight inches of snow this week about eight dollars off a yearly subscription so 22 for a year right now pretty good deal uh, if you ask me uh, for as many words as i vomit out every week um the access, you know, you get to access every single thing I do. You know, I did a little piece this week on, you know, Ken Palm top 25 teams in January that go on to miss the NCAA tournament with my mm. buddy, Andrew Weatherman, who's also a data science guy. But, you know, a lot of good stuff on there. If you're a Tennessee person, obviously you may have heard of it or you might like it a lot. Uh, if you're not a Tennessee person, don't worry. I write about other teams too. And um, no, Good to be snowed in. I've been, I did run the last two days. Um, what, like inside or outside? Outside. It's there. You are now, an animal, Will. Absolutely. Now, like not. our main roads are cleared. So it's still cold. Still, it was well, like not, eight, negative eight bad. degrees for part of yesterday. Like, a, like today at lunch, it was like 31. That's not bad. Oh, God. 31, I can deal with. Now, like if it's 10 or something, yeah, obviously I'm not going out, but 20 and up, I can do. We're built different. Well, truly we're, we're built different um speaking of teams built different that tennessee might meet uh, at some point in the ncaa tournament because they're not going to schedule them the memphis tigers we have to talk about them well we have to talk about memphis are they having a moment is this for real 
Where are you at with Memphis's week that they have had and whether or not they are a sustainable top 10 team in college basketball this year? Um, I, I look at them, I'm kind of like, I'm of two minds. So on one hand, excellent, excellent resume. No doubt mm-hmm. about that. You know, probably, I would argue one of like the five to 10 best in college basketball right now, not for like number of high-end wins. Like, I mean, you look, their their best wins over Texas A&M, but they've just stacked up win over win over win to the point that it is like, they're currently six and zero against quad two. I don't know if people know mm. that. I mean, like, this is a list of wins that are not amazing, but it's hard to go 6-0 against this group. Uh, pretty much all of them away from home, too. Missouri, Michigan, Arkansas, Clemson, VCU, SMU, like, Virginia. None of those are bad wins. Like, you had to go away from home for all but one of those and get the job done, and they did. So, you know, credit to them. But I, I think... One thing that gives me pause here is one shot quality's data on the team, which suggests that Memphis is like, re- like if you just went by who got the better shots in the game, Memphis should be nine and eight, not fourteen mm. and three, um, or sorry, fifteen and two. Actually, not that I'm like one hundred percent on board with that, but you know when I look at their season so far. I do see a lot of games where they've probably, frankly, been quite lucky to win. They're nine and one in games decided by six or less. They have a real nasty gift for getting into games with the bad teams and completely nuking their net and all relevant metrics you need to gain higher seeds, uh, but still coming out on top. Like they went to overtime with UTSA, who's in the 300s in Ken Palm. They barely escaped on the road against a bad Tulsa team. I mean, it's funny to mention this as like a bad performance, but had to like had to overcome a near game-winning buzzer beater by Vandy to win. Mm-hmm. A very bad Vandy team, as we're aware. Um, and to go with like a lot of other, frankly, really unimpressive performances. So, I, I like I said, I'm of two minds here. I I think the wins are really good. That being said, I just I don't know how much we know about them because I, I thought we would know a lot coming into the AAC. And the AAC, frankly, sucks. You've got FAU, Memphis, SMU, and North Texas, and I think it's a gigantic gap between those four and everybody else. So, I mean, we might learn something when they play FAU. We might learn something when they go on the road to North Texas. But for now, I just it's a thing of, I mean, they could be 22-2 and here in a few weeks and still be like 30th in Ken Palm. It'd be just like Murray State with better SEO. <laughs> that is that is such a will warrant Murray State that I just there's certain things I'm like, oh it's Will. Um that is a will take. That is a but, will but warrant. I, I'm gonna be honest here. Mm-hmm. I don't really root for or against I don't have any feelings about Memphis to be honest. Um mm. I don't know if you're aware of this guy on Twitter. Um I don't remember I don't know what his new name is, but he was like ball knower will for a while. It's not me for the record. Uh-huh. I, I think people listening to this are going to be aware. He's like a Memphis super fan. Okay. It's it's I think his new name is like Will something 901. Okay. I'll, I'll go on a hunt for him after this. But um you can be posting about it, were you ever aware of the pro, the promotion relegation freak on Twitter? Mm-mm, but like I'm Ted for it. Wester Westervelt or something like that. Mm-mm. Uh like he was tagging an Applebee's in his tweets at one point 
and uh, it was just like he, he would like get in fights about promotion relegation needing to be part of the U.S. soccer structure. That's okay. this guy, but with Memphis basketball, just like completely okay. unrelated posts from Matt Norlander turn into arguments about how Memphis should be in the top five. And hmm. so just because I would like to see how how this works, because I haven't followed him too closely because I haven't had a reason to, but say they lose to Tulane on Sunday, which is like not impossible. Going to be very interested to see those tweets, to be honest. So does it matter that they don't have a great strength of schedule? Do you think in college basketball in 2024, it matters what kind of schedule you're playing? Like, do you think that it, it just, if the AAC is down, it doesn't affect how we should view Memphis? Yes and no. So I, okay. I would say, yes, it matters for seeding. Because I think like playing a real tough schedule is meaningful, or at least like playing a decent schedule is meaningful because it gives you opportunities to rack up a bunch of quad one and quad two wins. Mm. And in Memphis's credit, they have racked up a ton of quad two wins. I mean, they're undefeated against anything that's not a quad one opponent. Um, but that being said, you if you're going to play a bunch of... So they've played 17 games. We're recording this prior to them playing USF tonight. Mm. 17 games, three have been against quad one. So it's great that they've gone um, 14 and 0 against quads two through four, but the actual content of those games has been pretty disappointing. So you can make up for a you know poor in-conference strength of schedule if you're whooping you know the East Carolinas and the UABs and the Rices of the world. Who is the player to know on Memphis? So for folks who are not uh, watching Memphis night in, night out, um, who who is the ma- who is the player to know? The the most fascinating, maybe just the best player on Memphis to this point. I think the the social media fave is Javon Quinterly because people know who he is. The mm. best player on the team is David Jones. This guy is awesome. Uh, okay. Twenty point per game scorer. Uh, very efficient both inside and outside the arc. Transferred in from St. John's. Uh, where he he's had three years of college ball and he's never really been efficient, never really found his stroke offensively, but always profiled as like a useful, impactful player. And for whatever reason, they've turned him loose a bit more of a, as a guard than a forward this year. And it really seems to have unlocked something in him, really get it getting to the line. He doesn't foul much. Uh, impactful in both ends of the court. I, I don't know that he's going to win AAC player of the year it's it's going to be dependent on how well or how much people are swayed by the big two at FAU and John L and Golden but if for whatever reason those two vote split I think he's your AAC player of the year what um what's the most impressive thing about what Penny has done with this year's group versus uh years past with Penny teams uh, the fact that he keeps seeming to have controversy or a missing player or like guys that are showing up on milk cartons um, around the program and still winning games. So like, mm-hmm. they, do you remember Jordan Brown from Louisiana Lafayette, the guy that mm-hmm. UT played in the round? Oh yeah. 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 Yes. The big guy. He yes. transferred in Memphis. Remember 22 point game scorer, like mm. was going to be a starter. He hasn't been with the team for two months. Penny mm. keeps saying he's sick. The guy's in California. He's not, he refuses. Penny has refused to say on the record that he's off the team. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Naquan Tomlin kicked off of Kansas State's roster last month, playing for Memphis right now. Jaquan Walton, originally committed to Alabama, got kicked out, playing for Memphis starting in July. It is the most chaotic roster-building strategy one can have, but I do think it's a testament to Penny because uh, the offense 
looks really good this year, frankly. Like mm-hmm. I think they're very talented scoring wise. And as many problems as I've got with the defense, they do have a, a knack for getting some late game stops. They're good at coming through and it matters. And you don't want to call them like the new Providence from a couple of years ago where Providence was whatever they were and were like 43rd in Ken Palm as a four seed. Uh, but that's, that's kind of like where we're heading where there's a team or two like this every year. It's usually Wisconsin for some reason, but it's not this year. Memphis might be that team this year. That's like, you know, ends up 26 and five or something, but is 40th in the ratings. What's their ceiling in the tournament? Do you think? I think they can make the second weekend. I, okay. I wouldn't bet on it, but I think they're certainly capable of it. I I would be a little surprised to see this team win four in a row to get to the final four, uh, just because their defense is honestly quite bad at times. Like they don't rebound well. They give up a lot of just wide, wide open threes, which lends themselves to some bad performances. But they, they've got an actual, honest to God, go-to score. You've got a scoring guard who's really good at this level in Quinterly. They have real depth. I mean, it's it's a good team. They're, I, I probably believe in them a little more than 44th and Ken Palm States. I don't know that I would bet on them to be like 50% higher to make the second weekend, but I mean, they're going to be like a seven seed. They're going to have a real shot. I like it. Um, Will Warren, bubble watch. Which school is less on the bubble this week than they were a week prior based on what happened on their schedule? But it, it's always fun to this week of week because so much changes. Mm. But um, let me give you a team that I don't think people are paying too much attention to at the moment that has actually like quietly done a really good job for themselves. And this is because of their record. People don't care yet. But it's Xavier. Hmm. Xavier's nine and eight, three and three big East. And when you hear that, you're going to think, well, why are we even talking about them? That's an NIT team. And that's mm-hmm. fair. I, I'm not totally convinced they're going to get over the hump either, but they struggled with injuries. A lot of non-conference play got really, really unlucky in some close games early on. You might remember them pushing Houston to the brink, got, I believe lost in a buzzer beater to Washington, took a tough loss at home to Oakland and lost by one at Villanova. This is still a really good team. Like they beat Providence by 20 on the road over the weekend, beat Mm -hmm. a good Butler team at home by double digits this week. The schedule is also shaping up to where they're going to be favored in five of their next seven. They do that. They're going to be 14 and 10. And it's a lot more palatable to make a case for 14 and 10 big East team. That's got an above average amount of wins for a bubble team. With, against their schedule, which is, I mean, as of right now, the number two schedule in America in terms of difficulty. Uh, 14 and 10 would be pretty good. I don't want to count these guys out. I think they've they've done a good job to get themselves where they are. And if you don't like that case, Seton Hall would be your more obvious pick because Seton Hall has overachieved quite nicely in Big East play too. Six and one with, if they beat Creighton on Saturday, a chance at seven and one to start Big East play. It's not bad. Not at all, especially considering they're more or less left for dead. Uh, very simple section who killed their bubble uh, behaviors this week, uh, Texas. I, I mm. don't want to hear any more about those guys. They're they're done. And the thing about Texas is like the, the thing about Texas is the worst possible thing they could have done was made last year's Elite Eight. It's what I mean, it's the Dennis Felton thing where they yeah. just went too far. You can't like it's just 
you had to bring back Rodney Terry. Like you had mm-hmm. to do it and you have to let this play out now over the next, I guess we'll see how long they let it play out. Um, but I mean, you just, you kind of had to do it. It's just an uncomfortable situation. If you're a Texas fan where you're like, he had a deep run, you had to do this, but I think uh, it's not looking good long-term uh, for the yeah. Rodney Terra era in Austin. Uh, I don't think so. And it sucks for him because I'm, he seems like a very nice guy aside from his whole horns down fiasco, but um, which hold on. Can I say one thing about that? Uh, sure. Look, I think horns down is fine. Like it's a totally fine thing. Um, it's not a big deal. Uh, it's something that the weirdest part to me about this is like how much it upsets Texas folks where I just don't because if it wasn't a big deal, no one's doing this to you anymore. No one's just yeah, doing this. Yeah, no one this. would care. Right. All. That being said, I do get like why a coach would be annoyed at if it's true what UCF did in the handshake line, like a coach, the coach of the other team being annoyed of like multiple players just doing the horns down, doing the the shaking of hands or whatever after like that all makes sense. Like I listened to Rodney Terry after I'm like, nah, he seems like a nice guy. And I think he's he's he it, it's a little too over the top in terms of the horns down and like what that means about sportsmanship. But I'm like, <laughs> he is the coach of the team. And I think he it makes sense why he'd be annoyed about that in the post game line and the reaction of like hey great you beat us UCF you're still bad this year like what like it's just that other part of it it's like this is this is like your Super Bowl is kind of like what I took it as of just beating him the horns down and having all the fun it's like all right man but like you're not having a good year you're celebrating a little bit too much here it's been a rough year for UCF I guess but like one, beating Kansas and Texas in the span of two weeks is amazing for that program. Yeah. And two, I think Rodney Terry should just win the game if he doesn't want to deal with it. They That's led that game by 14 mm-hmm. with under 10 minutes to go. Just win the game and you don't have to deal with it. It's true. I don't disagree. Um, McNeese State, best pick and roll defense in college basketball. Eric Fossett had a really good uh, video uh, layout of what Will Wade's team is doing. Um is this a surprise to you that uh, they're the best pick and roll defense in college basketball this year? And uh, is mixed knee state going to be a team that no one wants to play opening weekend come tournament time? I don't think that it's necessarily a surprise because the last Will Wade team at LSU finally figured out defense. And it was because it, the thing Eric uh, points out in his uh, tweet, which is like the sort of like the triple, you know, the, the triple switching exact same mm-hmm. thing LSU did his final year there completely different than what they had done before, by the way. Um, and it was very effective. You know, they were the number one defense for a good bit that season. Uh, they just didn't have any scoring. And then obviously Will's career <laughs> took a turn for the worse as soon as the season ended. But um, I, I don't think that if you adjusted for schedule, I don't think they'd be number one. Mm-hmm. I would pick Houston myself because um, Houston's pick and roll defense is just the nastiest thing you can watch right now. It's evil, um, but but considering the competition they face, McNeese is clearly just like way way more than what these teams can handle. And you know, in retrospect, it was probably a little evil to let McNeese not only get Will Wade but to get Shahada Wells from TCU, who is a really underrated piece of that team, and then to add some other you know high major contributors, you know CJ Felder. Christian Shoemate from, uh, well, I guess he was there already. I'm thinking of JT Shoemate. Mm. But uh, they're so much better than the rest of their conference. So, like, they're at 92nd 
or 88th in Ken Palm right now. They were 92nd Monday. Next highest team in the Southland is 250. Hmm. So, I mean, they genuinely could go undefeated in conference play. What they remind me of in a way, though, not in, they don't play the same style of ball, but it makes me think of this, uh, is a former Southland team, Stephen F. Austin. Hmm. Same sort of just like clearly far better than everybody else. Your talent is way ahead. Like you have actual potential NBA players on your roster. Wells probably being the main guy there, though he has a bit undersized. And like it's not unrealistic that they could go 29 and two. And if that's the case, it's definitely not unrealistic that you get to March. And if you're the five seed and McNeese is your 12, you're just really sad. You wished it was anybody else. Like uh, it, it reminds me of that in the way of you kind of want your teams to play somebody. But at the same time, if you go, to, I mean, it's hard to go 29 and two. You're clearly very good if you're doing that. And I I think they are like very good defensively. I'm more impressed by what they do in offense. So I think a little bit of regression is coming there. But no, this is like it feels like a bit of a mercenary thing to me in a way for Will Wade of like look, you're gonna be shocked if he's there next year, right? I don't know. It depends on like what jobs open up, I guess. Um how I don't know if teams, a lot of the bigger programs are going to wait to see maybe another year or two. Like, cause it wasn't like Patino was just right back in. Um, and he wasn't at Iona for a little bit. I don't know. Like I could see Will Way being there two to three years. I don't think he will be, man. I, I think okay. he's gone. I think he's one and done, but what opens up just for him? Fine with that. Huh? Where do you think he like, where well, it makes yes. sense? Cause Chris Beard, you think Chris Beard, you think he gets back in the SEC three? right away? Yeah. Hmm. The look, the the amount of care about this stuff, I think, is dwindling fast, especially in the NIL era. And uh, to be honest, I would be more concerned about hiring Chris Beard than I would be Will Wade. I don't disagree. Um, I also think it's Clemson might be sneaky for him if the Clemson, Clemson yeah, slide continues. Clemson really needs to like stop losing games. Brad yeah. Brownell is addicted to the hot seat. That man is a. <laughs> they he's were doing, doing too well. Sickening. He, he's like. He's going ham on the hot seat right now. He needs to back off. He is. Um, is UNC looking more like a Final Four team um, as of right now to you, Will Warren? Big uh, victory over Louisville yesterday, but uh, what have you seen from the Tar Heels? <laughs> Big victory over Louisville. <laughs> hey, the 6-11 and 11 Louisville Cardinals. It's just the, uh, not a walk in the The Mike park. Rutherford promise did come through. They did win more than four games this year. So credit to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I thought North Carolina looks like a Final Four team for a while. I think people are coming around because they have been like unusually good defensively lately. And mm. to some extent, that's real. And to some extent, like teams are shooting 25% from three against them over the last month. That's not going to last. But they they figured out a bit of what was going wrong with them. And it's kind of funny that it's come at the same time as a like a slightly lesser offensive performance. Mm. But one the race between them and Duke down the stretch here for the ACC title is going to be insane. And I can't wait for it Two, I mean, any list of teams. I, and I think you can probably, I'd actually put seven teams in this category of like, quote unquote, best teams in America mm. that sort of rotate by the day where it's Houston. And I'm just going in Ken Palm order here. Cause I think the seven is the correct seven Houston, Purdue, Arizona, Auburn, Yukon, Tennessee, UNC. I feel like any of those seven could like not only make the four final four, but win the title. 
Tennessee, I was less convinced by, but then you have this connect run of late and you're starting to see the path like where that's plausible. Auburn looks awesome. You know, the top three, I don't think you need any introduction as to, nor does UConn. But UNC, it's it's a nice deal where I think the Caleb Love breakup is the rare one that worked for both. Uh, like UNC is still very old, very experienced, but them having Harrison Ingram come in and help fix their spacing was so massive. Like they just look like such a better flowing offense this year. And, you know, I... I do think like a little bit of regression is coming defensively, but still like Armando Baycott stepped it up defensively this year. Cormac Ryan has come in a bit of a, above expectation on that end. RJ Davis has, and shout out to Elliot Cadeau. Uh, that guy's better than I thought he would be just straight up. Uh, he doesn't, he hasn't been a huge offensive contributor lately, but when you see like the motor he deploys on defense and the way that he stays in a play, like that's something you can work with. I, UNC scary like UNC is yeah. uh this is I I, kinda, I wish we would have seen UNC Tennessee this year um if only we could have seen like that kind of game happen like I would have liked to see this UNC team against uh Tennessee at some point like that would have been cool like if we had gotten to see specifically Tennessee versus UNC from January 14th on that would be a cool oh. <laughs> cool look I would love to see something like that I imagine those two teams playing uh, maybe in TBA, maybe it could be in Chapel Hill. Um, I'm not the logistics guy, but it would have been cool to see at some point this year. It, it would also have been cool if in that game, like Tennessee's best player doesn't get hurt yeah. on the stretch. So, you know, you you play that again, you don't know what happens. But the, the thing that I do like about them is so you've got that game where they won 192, mm. and then you've got both Clemson and NC State last week where they won 65-55 and 67-54. Mm. I find more value or inherently more interest, I guess, in teams that can win games a lot of different ways. Cause I feel like that preps you best for March. Like you're not always going to be able to play a game at your preferred pace or your preferred style. And so like when it goes against you, can you overcome and win that style of game? And UNC is showing that to me. I don't disagree. Um, Takeaway, speaking of the Vols uh, this week, uh, two gigantic performances from Dalton connect back to back here. Um, what do you make of the week of D- Dalton Connect and Dalton Connect Mania and what you saw from the Vols bouncing back from a midweek loss to Mississippi State coming back and beating the Dogs in the Steg on a crazy 15-1 run to end and then also what you saw in a blowout victory over Florida in uh, TBA on Tuesday night. So here's what I've seen. So you had that UNC loss in late November, but it also kind of felt like the game were like, People. I mean, obviously, Dalton Connect had the Michigan State game, the Wisconsin game, and whatnot. But that was the one where it felt like he got on the map. Mm. And so since that game went final, Tennessee's 9-1. and one, And you might say, okay, big whoop. But coming back, I mean, I, I'm willing to admit I might have been wrong on Georgia. I don't know that they're going to make the tournament, but they're tournament level. Mm. Like a bubble level. NC State is probably bubble level. Ole Miss, I think their Lynn Sanity run has blissfully ended but they're Mm -hmm. good they're fine tennessee kind of quietly five and one against top 75 teams in ken palm over the last month that's pretty good man and the the lone bump in the road being a road loss to a mississippi state team that pretty much everybody agrees is going to make the tournament that's not an offensive loss really especially you know tennessee kind of figured some things out connect got himself back on the rails and that's probably the biggest thing for me is it seems like Tennessee 
connect the whole roster is realizing what their best set is and what their best like zone is is either have Ziggler connect generally connect running point a do as the as the screener and then everything you do comes off of that because you can't play drop mm. because connect can shoot over the top of it and make it at a high rate you can't hard hedge and leave connect pass out of it because then it's four on three and you can't be indecisive because Adu has gotten really, really good at slipping these screens, like much more so than he was last year. Awaka's getting there. I don't trust him as much in these yet, but he, he's getting there. When you slip the screen and Connect makes that quick decision, Adu's either generally going to get a very easy two or they're going to have to overcommit resources and Tennessee's going to have an open shooter from that action. Now, it's it's kind of fascinating to watch this unfold in real time because i think you and i a lot of people vols in draft on twitter is a guy who's been on this for like five years um tennessee is like aversion to running pick and roll for mm-hmm. a long time it feels like that's changing it's a changing of the guard in real time here to where tennessee is becoming a more modern style offense connects making and, them like kevin durant's and kevin durant's now engaged in rick barnes games again and he's just watching yeah. he's like hey, hey 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 hey, where's the pnrs where's the but, PNRs? I, but I, I don't think that starts without ziggler though because ziggler is mm. such a skilled ball handler and dissector of defenses that if he gets around the screen and he's just sitting in the lane and, and he's very good at this just like half a step half a step half a step you're either having the big who's now trailing behind you or the defender's now trailing behind you jump over Ziggler's back to try and block the shot without fouling, or you've got an advantageous situation with a screener, or alternately, they're committing more resources and you can kick it out for an open shot. Mm. It, it just feels like in the same way Tennessee knows their defensive identity to a T, it feels like they're starting to discover the best offensive identity for this team, which is good to see. Like I... I can see a path to like Tennessee getting to the season finale on March 9th in this offense, like maybe being top 15 in Ken Palm. It's not, I mean, they're 21st right that's now. That's a final four team. If you're top 15 in offense and you're top three in defense, like that's final a team. Four. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're going to be odds on favorite to do that too. And, you know, not only that, it's, it's becoming more clear and I, you know, Kentucky's going to have their shot and it's a long season. A lot of weird stuff happens. But it's becoming relatively clear to me, based on how the schedules line up, that if Tennessee wins Saturday mm-hmm. against Alabama, this is likely going to be a two-team race between them and Auburn for the SEC regular season title. Because Alabama's schedule way tougher than like anyone else's in the conference, minus Vandy, mm-hmm. which is funny. Like, just we'll run through it quick because I know we're on a time crunch. You know, mm-hmm. after they play Tennessee. It go. This is Alabama's. They got to go at Georgia, at Auburn, at Kentucky, at Florida. Like they've still got a lot of really tough games to do. They haven't touched the meat of their schedule yet. Auburn has just at Alabama, at Mississippi State, and at Tennessee. They don't have nearly as many tough road games. Tennessee doesn't really either. It's probably this game Saturday kind of decides who's in that race with Auburn the rest of the way. I, they should be fine with Auburn or fine with Alabama on Saturday. I am very curious because I think to me, the two best is Auburn and Tennessee. Like that's the one I have circled. I don't, I I think Kentucky's good. I just don't think Kentucky is as good as Tennessee or Auburn this year. I think the two best in the conference are Tennessee. Auburn. That's the final juggernaut battle. The the way to probably frame it best is that I don't think Kentucky's floor 
is as high as Auburn or Tennessee. Yeah. Kentucky, with how much variance they have night over night, Kentucky's floor can be quite low. I mean, it's a team who lost to UNC Wilmington. Yeah. Should have lost to Florida. Yeah. Um, final thing here, Will Warren, and then we got to go, but, uh, let's do Bart Torvik. Don't lie. Texas tech top 25 team. Does that check out when you examine what the stats and what the advanced numbers say about the red Raiders? Are they a top 25 team in the country? Um, I don't know about top 25. I'd probably say like top 35, 40, somewhere in there, but Mm -hmm. the goal for them this year is just make the tournament and you're one of McCaslin and they're going to do it all. I mean, all signs point to that. Tough timing to do this after they got rocked by Houston, I guess. But that's how it works sometimes. So that, that might be the best team in college basketball this year. Yeah, and that I pointed this out on um, our man Trilly Donovan's channel. Mm. Brutal schedule spot for Texas Tech to walk into after back-to-back losses for Houston. They probably had five dead, 17 injured at Houston practices this week. <laughs> and that was just the managers. Um, uh, but like Texas Tech got a little hot for a while from three. and probably overperform their real abilities, but I would be a little surprised if they don't end up above 500 in big 12 play, which is a hell of an accomplishment in this big 12 in particular. Um, no, I like this team. think they're going to make mm-hmm. the tournament. You're always dangerous with a master planner like McCaslin on your side. Like that staff is just honestly top 15 in the country. There you go. Texas tech in good hands um, going forward. So We'll see what ultimately happens with the Red Raiders, but uh, I think they are a tournament team and they're another team just right there heading in the right direction. Good coaching staff, like you said, and a team on the upswing going into the next couple of years here. Will, what can the good folks check out from you over at statsbywill.substack.com? Subscribe today, this week. You need to subscribe now because if you do, you get the full Alabama, Tennessee preview which is looking like it's going to be 3000 plus words. Mm. Uh, honestly deserving for like arguably one of the games of the year, in my opinion. Um, we do watch lists every week. Next week we'll do an NCAA tournament piece, looking ahead at the quality of the field. We've got stuff on teams most likely to improve or decline in their chances to make the tournament. A lot of good stuff coming out on the site these days and thrilled to say, you know, working together with some people behind the scenes to, get more data projects out and get some more interesting pieces. And yes, dadgummit, I will get back to work on the Vanderbilt series as soon as I've got some time. <laughs> Look, the folks want the Vanderbilt takes, Will Warren. They they want it. Um, but thank you, as always, Will Warren. Go subscribe, statswhywill.substack.com. Subscribe today, type in your email. That easy, that simple. Do it today. And support the good folks over there. And by good folks, I mean, Bill Warren, go support him over there as we're all snowed in and hopefully going to be able to get out of our houses in the next couple of days here in East Tennessee. Will, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back here on the Chase Homes Podcast, taping this on a Thursday evening, snowed in Thursday evening here in East Tennessee, where I'm joined by the legendary Jimmy Himes of 991, the sports animal. Jimmy, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Chase. I hope you are as well. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. How is how is retirement going in mid-January? What has Jimmy Himes gotten into over the last few weeks? Well, that's not really good news because I'm just oh, no. recovering from covid Mm. And uh, and then with the snow, I haven't been able to get out of the neighborhood except once. So yeah, I've been um, I'm stir crazy. I've been homebound uh, mm-hmm. since January the first. So it's 
uh, I have watched more TV in two weeks than I think I watched all of last year. What have you watched? What's been your favorite? Are you bouncing around? Are you binging some shows? What are you doing? Well, I am binging some shows. I, I do watch a lot of sports. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then I watch uh, crime mysteries. I watch uh, Dateline and 2020 and some of those shows. Uh, I, I enjoy watching um, true uh, crime, though, not mysteries. like the fictionalized yeah. crime. You like the true Correct. crime stuff. Okay. Well, no, these are, yeah, that's true. It's, it is true crime. But mm-hmm. I will watch some Law and Order as well. So, are you in uh, Law and Order SVU? Are you Law yeah. and Order? Uh, what is the new one with uh, Stabler? An organized, organized, organized crime? crime. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah, I watch a lot of those type shows. There you it gets go. My mind all sports. <laughs> I, you got to have balance. My wife and I were doing yes. Luther right now. I've watched Luther, but she's never done it. I love the BBC crime shows. Like I'm all oh, I, like okay. Sherlock, Luther, all that stuff is my jam. I love love that stuff. Yeah. But uh, Jimmy, we can we can talk all things uh, law and order and stuff on this podcast, or we can talk some Tennessee balls because I think a lot of good folks uh, listening in here in East Tennessee would like to get our perspective on some Tennessee stuff. So my first question to you. So it looks like it's finally going to happen that Lance heard uh, more rumblings today from 247 Sports about mm-hmm. it seems like Tennessee's in a good spot, which I think Vol fans have heard for the last like three weeks that Tennessee's in a good spot. So you might be yeah. going stir crazy uh, in East Tennessee, Jimmy, but I think all Vol football fans are going stir crazy waiting on the graphic to uh, go up on Twitter um, that Lance Hurd is officially in the boat, the former five-star tackle from LSU. If that winds up being the case, which it seems like that is going to end up being the case, do you feel pretty good now about what Nico is going to have in front of him in terms of the offensive line going into 2024? That sure helps. It really mm-hmm. helps a lot because uh, you mentioned Hurd being a five-star. I think the only reason he, he's leaving LSU is for playing time, and mm-hmm. he was behind two really good tackles. Uh, also, this guy is a much higher-rated prospect than Gerald Mincy, who entered the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. So I think he's a plug-and-play and a good player. Now, to me, the only other issue is who's going to be the guard, the other guard. So you're, you're set at your tackles if you get him. Uh, you And I think – and I'm assuming Spragans comes back. Yeah. And Cooper Mays is a, a very good center, an all-SEC caliber center. So you got one guard spot to fill. They have a lot of candidates to fill that. So I do feel good about where this offense can line can be if they can get hurt. It's if they get hurt and then he goes to left tackle because there's a video. I don't know if you saw of John Campbell working at right tackle. You could tell, but his movements is like it was just kind of, oh, okay, this is definitely in the works. John's looking to move to the right side. But John was solid at left tackle. There wasn't a point this past year that we were like, oh, liability on the left hand side. And then you have Dane Davis announcing he's returning uh, for his last college season this Mm -hmm. fall. Good swing guy like that's good depth. And it puts you in a position now at the tackle spots because I think we're both high on Bennett Warren. Like he's a big, big body. He looks the part. Four-star tackle out of uh, tennis, out of Texas. But those guys just don't play as freshmen. Like there's very right. few guys. The Darnell Wrights do not exist <laughs> very often, and that's okay. But you didn't really have an option going at with Mincy now in the portal. There was just, and we'll see. Like we're operating on the assumption that they are going to close on uh, Lance Hurd here, but there is a lot riding on this because there's just not that depth if he's not in the boat because of where you're at numbers wise, but you still kind of feel, I feel okay going into 2025 with this group, especially at the tackle spot, but this year they needed a bandaid. And now you have a multi-year bandaid because Hurd has multiple years of eligibility. So right. when John Campbell's gone, then you have an option. You have breathing room with Bennett Warren, Sham Umarov, um, Gage Ganther, whoever is that tackle spot, or you go back in the portal or whatever it is. 
but you needed some stability, some long-term stability at one of these tackle spots because Tennessee just hasn't had it um, since uh, Darnell Wright went away. And we were just kind of like, John Campbell's a stopgap, Dane Davis, Gerald Mincy, J.J. Crawford. You just haven't felt great, like settled. You haven't felt settled at tackle. And it finally feels like Tennessee might be settled at tackle for the next two years. Yeah, I think so. And, and one thing, and I think Josh Heupel and staff have done a terrific job overall given what they inherited. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I would be critical of is they have not really gone out and signed offensive linemen that have played for them yet. Mm-hmm. Cooper Mays was in the previous staff. Darnell, Darnell Wright was a previous staff. They have not brought – I thought Addison Nichols was going to be a really good player. Mm-hmm. He was a, a highly rated player that came out of Georgia, and now he's in the transfer portal. Uh, so – I, that's that's one thing where this staff has to do a better job. You can't rely on the transfer portal uh, every year to fulfill the needs that you have on an offensive line. So they've either got to do a better job recruiting offensive linemen or a better job developing them, one of the two. And look, I mean, this will be a big year for Shaman Rav, who was a yeah. true freshman last year. He needs to develop. Like, he's a four-star mm-hmm. at Georgia, too. Um, looks apart, but... Look, he's he's maybe he moves to guard. Maybe you move him inside because the left guard still is not settled. And you mentioned the guard at the top here. Like well, Sprags, we're assuming is back, and that right guard is settled. But Ollie's gone. Um, you mentioned Addison Nichols; he's gone. Jackson Lampley played a lot down the stretch here, and he was solid. So maybe Jackson Lampley is the left guard uh, this year. Ollie was more than capable as a fill-in left guard. It was a little bit uh, tumultuous when he had to play center. But when he was able to stay at that left guard spot, it wasn't a liability, especially in the run game. Like you feel okay if it's Lampley or Andre Carich, um, but you also you you feel a little bit better if there is somebody who's been in your room that you've been developing. Um, that's a Glenn Ellerby signee that kind of pops and forces their way. What maybe that's Weiss and Lang, maybe that's um, maybe that's uh, Riddick, maybe that's Shane Mumarov, whoever it is. You just mm-hmm. like you said, you need to see one of these guys that they've signed over the last three years find their way yeah. out of the field and be starters. You do, and you mentioned a couple of uh, players with um, uh, that could potentially play the guard, whether it's uh, Lampley coming back or uh, whether it's Carriage. But I, I would I would like an upgrade there. I, I think mm-hmm. Tennessee uh, needs to do better at that. I think those guys are backup players. Uh, they need somebody that I think can step in and be a, a solid starter for them at the other guard position. I will say this, though, in my opinion, I said this from the get-go with Heupel, and certainly folks can disagree, Tennessee does not have to have a great offensive line to have a great offense. Mm. That, I think this offense mitigates the need for a great offensive line. As long as you're adequate, as long as you can get in there and get in somebody's way and get a hat on a hat, they're going to be fine because this up-tempo offense, in my opinion, is a huge advantage to an offensive line because most of the time uh, you've got a, a, an advantage in the box. You're, you're usually going against six people uh, mm. in the box. And I think because you spread the field like that. So as long as you're just adequate uh, on that offensive line, I think your offense can be great. I, I didn't, I thought the offensive line was, was pretty decent uh, with Hendon Hooker there when they averaged 46 points. I didn't think it was great. Didn't think it was overpowering. And my example of that would be, Tennessee is not really good in third and fourth and one, right? Mm. We've seen that the last couple of years, in particular this past year. That's because they don't sit there and just fire off in the line of scrimmage and knock you down. Mm. They get in the way. They're more of a finesse offensive line that just gets in the way. And as long as they get in the way, the running back uh, can dart through a crease. And that's where Tennessee's run game has been so effective, I think. Yeah, it's just like it feels like to me, and I don't know if you feel the same, Jimmy, but when they've gotten in those fourth and short, third and short, issues a lot of it's they they don't play that way the whole game 
and then they just kind of pretend they're somebody else in those moments because it's like, oh, we're supposed to, like it's a, it's a just a weird situation where they're they're just weird. It's like a camouflage type deal, or you're just it's not you. Like what you're wearing, like yeah. what you're trying to be here when you're lining up and you're built like just uh, putting a bunch of dudes in the box and just saying our guys are going to outmuscle your guys. It's like that's not who you are. It's never been who you right. are, and that's okay. And that's I think what's been frustrating for a lot of Tennessee fans is like, why are you doing these just uh, shotgun draws right up the middle with Jalen Wright or D- Jabari Small, whoever, when that's just never been what you are. Like, just call it fourth and short, like it's first and or second and short. Like, don't don't yeah. change your playbook for that just because that's the kind of situation what most teams would do, especially with Joe Milton a quarterback because he wasn't really that much of a running threat. But no. I'll say this against Iowa in the bowl game, I did like uh, uh, Nico Iamalea but getting under center. They mm-hmm. ran from an I formation. They ran from a power eye formation, and guess what? Both times it worked. Mm-hmm. So we might see a little bit more of the, the quarterback under center and running out of the eye formation. But the other thing about that is, and I'm not a big fan of the fourth and a half, fourth and a foot being in the shotgun, but mm-hmm. if you do that, at least uh, Nico gives you a much better running threat, and he's much better at the zone read than was Milton. Yeah, it's just you could see he's just a natural runner, and I, I don't know if you agree, but like, the offensive line got killed in that game. Like we talked about the offensive lines and really had issues uh, Tennessee through three years. That was an issue where I was front seven's good and they caused a lot of problems, especially for Dane Davis on the right-hand side. But Nico took some coverage sacks. Nico took some silly sacks where he was just getting up to the line of scrimmage and just didn't throw it away. Like they weren't bad. He had six sacks, I think total, but you look at that game. If Milton was behind center, I think he's near double digits because of just his pocket awareness and just his elusiveness. Yeah, it just it wouldn't have gone well. Like that was something I jotted down where I'm like, man, this looked a lot better because Nico. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's just so much more of a natural uh, a natural presence in the pocket. You can just tell. I mean, mm-hmm. the big Bryce Young comparisons, I think, are very apt for him because of just his natural feel. And uh, I think he's just going to be a headache for SEC defenses over the next two years, not because he's an elite runner, but because no play is going to be over when you think it's over with Nico. That was a big takeaway I had. What was your biggest takeaway from Nico? My biggest takeaway is that he fits this system and Joe Milton didn't. I said all Mm. year last year that Milton didn't really fit the system. He's not, he's not a Hendon hooker type quarterback. And that's what you need. Here are the things that Nico needs to do that Milton didn't do. And I think he can. First off, I saw some running ability. Mm-hmm. And and that's important at that quarterback position. He's an eager runner. Milton was not. The other thing is, I think Nico uh, throws well on the run. 
Milton was not a good passer on the run. He completed some passes late in his Tennessee tenure on the run, but typically when he was rolling out, he was not a very good passer. Mm-hmm. Hooker was a very good passer on the run. I think Nico will be as well. Here's the other thing, too. I saw Nico making, not all the time, but I saw him making some quicker decisions. And Milton was so slow at making some decisions. It hurt him in the run game. It hurt him in the passing game. You've got to be a quick decision maker. And, yes, I know that Nico took a couple of sacks, and he wasn't perfect in that regard. But I think a lot of that comes with experience. And we saw the jump that Hooker made from his first year as Tennessee mm-hmm. started to the second year. Uh, so I think Nico, in those three areas, his decision-making, his ability to to uh, throw on the run, and his ability to run the football in the zone read, I think that's going to make a big difference with this offense. What's your biggest worry about Nico in this offense? My biggest worry about Nico in this offense is that Nico looks like he weighs 175 pounds. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a, I, I, you want him to run and he needs to run. I think he needs to put on about 10 or 15 pounds. Uh, his, whether or not he can uh, be durable uh, in this, in this offense and running, look, Hendon Hooker took some shots Yeah, and he was a tough kid. And, he lost like he, four teeth taking a shot against from Dallas Turner in the Alabama game to what, three yeah. years ago now <laughs> where like, yeah, Hendon Hooker, he took some shots mm-hmm. at Tennessee. And Nico's going to take some too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so can he, can he, uh, withstand that? I, I, I don't know. That would be my concern about him. I, I like the other aspects of Nico. I don't see anything about his skill set that concerns me. I think he's an accurate passer. I think he's a good decision maker. I think he is a more natural runner. I like all of those parts of it, but you won't be able to see it if he's on the bench. So that's, I, I think him staying healthy is my biggest concern about him. And I wonder too, so Bruce back, you get Chris Brazel mm-hmm. out of the portal. Dante Thornton should be back. We can't say everybody's definitively back with the portal being what it is. And now the unlimited transfer yeah. rule in the spring. It's like, we're saying they're back, but like there's still spring practice to get through here. So who knows um, if they're all still here, but my question, and I wonder if you feel this way, look like there was no downfield shots in that Iowa game. Like Tennessee did not take right. a downfield shot at all. Uh, against Iowa so we haven't seen Nico and unleash that part of his game yet and that's still something that it's a wait and see because they took that away with Joe Joe was just hey you're going to be a robot in the pocket we're doing a bunch of screens we're going to make things very easily you're not throwing over the field over the middle of the field anymore like we're just we're going to break this down we're going to be a run 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 first team and you can take a couple shots to scroll down the right hand side where like it's out of harm's way and if he doesn't come down with it it's an incompletion it's fine I am very curious what Nico does with this wide receiver room because Bruce coming back from a really, really rough injury and he's easily rootable. He's a big time figure. Love brew, but I'm curious what he looks like coming from an injury like that. We saw Dante Thornton did not work out as a transfer guy. So you can't just pencil in Chris Brazel is just going to find immediate success as a receiver on the outside in this offense. And then Chaz Nimrod and Caleb Weber. Okay. They're not great. And then squirrel. He's not Jalen Wright. Like, I like Squirrel White a lot. He's very reliable. He's going to gobble up the catches in this offense. He takes, speaking of guys who takes a lot of shots, and he's a not the biggest guy, and he keeps getting up. Like, Squirrel's taken some yeah. shots and made it through that it just blow my mind. But he's not Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt's a first, like, he was a borderline second, third, first round pick. Like, he was someone who was just taking the top off and single-handedly just destroyed Alabama's uh, secondary. I mean, the You're not going to see that from Squirrel. Like, you're not going to see that from Squirrel. Squirrel doesn't have that upside. He's a number two receiver, I think. Yeah. He's a guy. He caught 62 passes. And to me, he's either going to catch the quick out, uh, 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 the flanker screen, if if Mm -hmm. you will, 
sometimes he'll get a slant and then he'll he'll go on a, on a go route. So but mm-hmm. he needs to be the number two guy. Um, I I'm wondering if Dante Thornton he finally looked like he started to get it mm-hmm. to fit in after they moved him from slot to wide receiver, and so maybe he can pick up where he left off. I know he not only touchdown reception he got hurt, mm-hmm. but maybe he he's kind of figured it out. Maybe the second year in the system will help him. Uh, Brazel actually, according to Pro Football Focus, comes in uh, higher rated, I think, than what Thornton was when Thornton mm-hmm. came in here. And and some of this is about attitude. I, I heard that uh, from various folks that Thornton came in and got his NIL money and maybe didn't work as hard as he should have or needed to. Uh, hopefully, uh, when Brazel gets here, he won't have that same approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, and there's another receiver, uh, Mike Matthews, a five-star. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe he fits in. Maybe he comes in and wows them and is able to work into that rotation. Uh, as we as we know, Hyper's rotation at receiver is not very deep. He likes to go with three or four guys, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Uh, so uh, Matthews may be one of those that works it in. I actually did a grade the other day in a column I wrote, Chase, about Nico can only be as good as a supporting cast, and I graded the receivers, the tight ends, the offensive line, and the running backs. I gave the wide receivers the best grade out of that group. Because really? I th- Yes, because I think they're going to find three or four wide receivers that are going to be really productive for them. Look, not as good as Hyatt, not as good as Tillman. I get that. But I think they're going to be really solid at receiver. I feel confident about that group. I am still waiting to see. I am not quite there yet. I would like to be wrong. I just, it's a wait and see. I don't want to get burned on this again. I don't want to get burned on the... I just don't know if they haven't, they still don't really have a, like Brew is fine. Brew is just not a traditional number one. And I think that's the difference. It's like Cedric Tillman, you could throw the ball 25 times at Pitt and he can go and win you a football game. Like that was, he was a different kind of playmaker on the outside. Brew is not that guy. You can't target Brew 20 times to go get you a win. Like you don't really have that go to receiver. And maybe Chris Brazel turns out to be that guy. Um, You mentioned Mike Matthews putting a lot of pressure on him as a true freshman. But I think he's someone who's going to need to be on the field sooner or later because of also the threat of the portal. Like he's going to need to play like you're going to need to get Mike Matthews factored in here um, sooner rather than later to uh, I mean, just see what you have there. And also just like the talent, like you've got to give these guys some some opportunities here, um, unless you're Tim Banks and Willie Martinez on the defensive well, uh, backside. Here's the thing. And and um, I don't mean to be too critical of Joe Milton because I, I mm. thought. Look, they won eight games with him. He had several really good games. He didn't fit the system. But I also think that uh, the receivers will show out more with Nico at quarterback. I mm. think they would have looked better if Hendon Hooker had been the quarterback. I think there were receivers at times that were running open and Milton just didn't see him. Yeah. So I think I – think, now, here's the other part of, of what I was saying too. If you don't think the receiver group is the best group on offense to help Nico, what would it be? I would say offensive line if Hurd's in the boat because I think well, he's not in the boat though. But when I it, wrote this, he wasn't in yeah. the boat. Okay, if he's not in the yeah. boat, then I probably still lean running back, just because right. they re like Jalen Wright, not a traditional number one, but you were able to still just not miss a beat, whether it was Wright, whether it was Samson, whether it was Small. I just think Tennessee's always going to be able to run the football uh, with this scheme and with what they're doing because they just push these guys out wide, the receivers out wide. They the box is always going to be light with them on first and second down. Mm-hmm. You have more talent and more getaway talent in Dylan Sampson, just the kind of big home run threat that we've seen flashes of. It's now his show. And then I think Cam Seldon is just such a 
potential jump up from what you've had in Jabari Small, who's good. Jabari Small has been solid as a number two guy to come in there. But I think the opportunity for Cam Seldon, who has just been billed as a physical freak coming in here and just the four star running back who, I mean, the Cordero Patterson stuff was immediate with him because he played everything in Virginia. I just think when I think about this running back room and what Tennessee has been able to prove on the field over three years, I think they're going to be able to run the football. And I think there's going to be more big play heavy hitters in the running back room this year. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, did you see Dylan Sampson in pass protection against Iowa? Oh, no, it was bad. Yeah, no, like I – That's part Cam of Cam might back. be running back one by week three, just to protect yeah, that, Nico's blindside. That, that's that's part of my running back. Now, if Sampson is a ball carrying receiver, mm. I love it. His pass protection is awful. Uh, and I, I like Selden's upside too. But I also believe you got to have three running backs. Yeah. So who's your third running back? I don't know. Yeah. So that, that concerns a little bit. Uh, maybe it's Keith. Uh, maybe it's Peyton Lewis who's coming yeah. in. I, I don't know who that other one is, but I think you need three. That's why I gave the receivers a slightly better grade than the running backs. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. But would you agree if Hurd is in the boat officially? Would you, like if you're writing that column now, if Hurd's in the boat, is that the the number one for you? It would be close because uh, I still think you got to fill that left guard spot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you have to have five competent offensive linemen because they work as a unit. If you got one really bad weak weak link up there, mm-hmm. I think that can hurt the productivity of an offensive line. So I would I would still want to see who that left guard is. Okay. Uh, final one for you, Josh Heupel. Through three years, what grade would you give his tenure? Because I was asked about this on uh, Locked On Balls uh, last week, and I got a B. I gave a B plus. And I'm curious where you would wind up for Hypo because I had a lot of fans in the comments say, I don't know how you don't give it a minus a whatever. I I went B B plus. Is that where you're at based on what you've seen through three years? Or would you where, where would you go with Josh Hypo grade wise? Is there such a thing as a B plus plus? No, but that, that's just no. <laughs> see, that's the thing is you don't you know, it's not an A, you know, it's not an A. I think it's very close. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here's why. Look at the mess he inherited. Yeah. My gosh, who in the world? I didn't think he could get to a bowl game in his first year. Yeah, I didn't think in the second year he could beat Alabama and go to the Orange Bowl, beat Clemson, win 11 games. I think that was an incredible job. Mm-hmm. Now, here's here's where I would uh, detract a little bit from him, uh, is that I? Um, how do you start Milton over Hendon Hooker your first year? How do you, how do you make that decision? That That bothered me a little bit. I also thought Nico should have played more. Not that they'd have won more games if Nico had played this past year, but there were opportunities to put him in the game. I thought they could have gone in that direction. So, um, and and then I just don't have any excuse for going to Missouri and getting blown out like that. Mm. So I, I ding him a little bit for that. So I I I don't have any problem with the B plus, but I think he's very close to an A minus when you consider what he inherited, all the departures that he had, the NCAA cloud over his head. I think he's done a terrific job. I got to add this up right quick. Is it 27 wins in three uh, years? That sounds right. right. That sounds right. 7 11 is 18 plus 8, 26 wins. Uh, 26, no, yeah. 29. He just went 9 and 4, so 27. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's a heck of a job to get. I would have never predicted 27 wins the first three years, given the mess that that he uh, that inherited from Jeremy Pruitt. And it's right on. He had 28 wins before he left uh, UCF for Tennessee through mm-hmm. three years. So he's almost exactly where he was at UCF. Yeah. He's consistent. Um, everywhere he has he goes. better competition. Better competition. Yeah. But my thing, 
it's the Milton stuff because here's the other part of it, Jimmy, like the what if game, because remember, if Hunden Hooker just doesn't slide in here as one of Jeremy Pruitt's last guys and he's not in the quarterback room in the spring and it's just Milton and Harrison Bailey and may insert random transfer quarterback here. <laughs> he gets hurt like Milton still gets hurt in that game and you go to Harrison Bailey the rest of the way like there's a like, everything we see from where Tennessee is right now is completely different. That's why I just. A lot of love is given to Hypo, and Hypo's good. Hypo has been solid here at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. and Hooker has been the most important player, at, or most important figure at the University of Tennessee in the last three years. If there is one person who is Agreed. the most responsible for the revitalization of Tennessee athletics, I just I think it's Hinton Hooker. Hinton Hooker gets an A plus for me because of what he did and how different of an offense he had to learn and go um go and learn from what he was running at Virginia Tech versus what Hypo was expecting him to do, and just how much he just changed the whole nature of the program in terms of his confidence, in terms of how scary he was when he was in his zone. And just he, he turned Jalen Hyatt into an NFL receiver. He turned Cedric Tillman into a guy that you could throw the ball 25 times to. He scared every defense with how efficient he was and just not throwing picks ever. Like it was his efficiency was absurd. Like we may never as good as Nico might be at Tennessee. I think it's going to be dang near impossible for any Tennessee quarterback to match what Hendon Hooker did in 2022. Like we may never see quarterback play that elite over the course of a full year. I just, I Hypel deserves credit for developing Hendon Hooker to be that, but I still think the only a through three years and just the biggest, what if for me is what if Hendon Hooker does not find his way into Knoxville at the very end of the Pruitt era, because everything else doesn't happen without Hendon Hooker. Well, that's true, but one of the things you said is the reason I, I give Hypo a lot of props, and that is Virginia Tech gave up yeah. on Hendon Hooker. And he comes to Tennessee, and he does what he did. I've got to give Hypo a, a lot of credit for the development mm-hmm. of Hendon Hooker. I've got to give him a lot of credit for the development of Cedric Tillman, who in three years at Tennessee had eight catches, and then he turns into this monster receiver who's fabulous uh, in twenty. 21 and mm. then he got hurt in 2022 yep. so he he wasn't as effective, but he was still a tremendous receiver that got drafted in the nfl so he developed that guy uh, he took an offense that averaged what 22 points a game under pruitt felt and less. then in two <laughs> less than that no it felt, felt less than that like you yes, told me yeah. 16 yes. you told me 14 yeah. like whatever the number is i'd be like well, it feels less against sec competition it probably was closer to that Mm-hmm. Uh, so he took a team that averaged about 22 a game, and two years later he averaged 46 points. That's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And he got 52 against Alabama. Now, uh, he hadn't been perfect, I'll give you that, but I, I think he's just done a tremendous job. They also have to figure out how to not have um, just awful performances like South Carolina one year, Missouri the next. they they got to avoid having those incredible lapses against opponents. Uh, somehow, some way, they they need to be a little bit more consistent in that regard. At Florida too, like because I think that was their yeah, worst I, loss yeah, last year. I agree year. with that. At Florida, you know, and and I've I've had people get on about how in the world could you have picked Tennessee to beat Florida because Tennessee never wins in Gainesville. Here's why: one, Florida wasn't very good, mm-hmm. and that was proven. Secondly, and I put a lot of stock on this, and I guess I shouldn't have. You know how many seniors Tennessee started in that game against Florida? How many? Nineteen. You know how many seniors Florida started? Not a lot. Two. 19 to two in seniors. I said, there's your difference. The experience. Mm. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was wrong. So I, I I overanalyzed it by doing too much research. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought Tennessee had a, enough veterans on that team to where they would be able to go down to Florida and, and get a win. And I didn't think Florida's very good, and that proved to be true. Uh, but but you're right. I would put Florida in that camp with Missouri and South Carolina of games where Tennessee just didn't show up. Yeah, and I think the other part of this, too, is a wrap is like he's very loyal to his coaches, um, very loyal to the staff. He's kept them all together. Um, there are some good recruiters here. I think probably uh, Cody, uh, excuse me, not Cody, uh, Kelsey Pope, probably his best recruiter right now. Um, he's developed well, brought in a lot of big time talent. We'll see what Mike Matthews ends up being, but like, Hey, the corner and safety spots, like they are going to start, like there is, a, there should not be a situation where in year three, Will Brooks is getting meaningful snaps, uh, late in your season. And that you're in a situation where it just, the cupboard looked pretty bare in spots. And it's like, we're year three. Like this is the roster is still, I just don't think in the sec as good as you're recruiting right now, it's good. It's not great. It's good, but you're in that middle middle class right now in SEC recruiting. And I think to get to that A, because talent wins out over everything else, you have to win some of these big ones. You have to win a Jordan Seaton. You have to win a couple more of these big boy battles for me to put you in that A, because part of being a head coach in the sport is you're a CEO and you're, you've got to be elite at talent acquisition. If you want to be in that A category, regardless of what you walked into three years ago, it's just this league is so dang hard to win year over year. And we saw this year with uh, how hard it is to run back elite offenses in the sport year over year. It just comes down to player acquisition and you've got to be a little bit better there. You're good at it. You're good. You're not in the bottom tier, but you're not elite either. You're still like Auburn's now come on. Auburn's got a stronger recruiting base right now with you freezing what they've got cooking. So they're back on the Brian Harrison era is over there. So that's helping them. But, Look, Texas and Oklahoma are coming in here. They're both better recruiting programs than you right now. And Texas especially. Like, it's just only going to get harder. So I think that's just something to monitor, too. Is like, he's good, yeah. but the recruiting's got to be uh, just a little bit better. You've got to win a couple more of these big-time t- big, t- big time battles to uh, really keep this thing humming. Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with that. And you've got to win some of those battles in the portal. The, mm-hmm. the thing that I'm going to be really interested in, and I, I knocked the secondary. I didn't think secondary is very good at all at Tennessee. And mm-hmm. you can't make the argument that they didn't, that Tennessee didn't put any pressure on the quarterbacks because I think Tennessee was second in the SEC in sacks. Yeah, they were. There was a they were a good pass rushing team, so that wasn't it. But you've got a defensive back that went to Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. uh, Louisville, one on one to Ole Miss, but then he's at Louisville, I think. Wesley Walker and Marion Bon McDonald are both at uh, Louisville, and Tyler Barron. They all ended up at Louisville. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. and, but but looking at just the defensive backs, mm-hmm. uh, Slaughter went to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Now, so they didn't all go to UNC Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be curious to see how do those guys play at these other schools? I mean, yeah. I watched them at Tennessee and I didn't think they're very good. So was that coaching? Was it a scheme? Well, I don't know what it was, but I'll be curious to see how those guys play, play somewhere else. But to me, one of the biggest issues for this Tennessee team to take the next step, they have got to be better in the secondary. Yeah. Uh, and and I'll be curious to see if they can make strides there. They've got several transfer portal guys coming in, you know, how well they play, who knows, but they've got to be better in the secondary. I am so fascinated by the safeties that could make or break some of these games because you're going to look at Jacoby Thomas transfer from MTSU. That's a huge jump up for him. That is a, you're asking a lot out of this kid to step in and be a starter um, next to John Slaughter, who didn't get any snaps last year as a freshman. So he's someone who very green, good luck. All right. Mm -hmm. So our two starters in the back end is going to be a guy who didn't play at all. Four star talented kid, John Slaughter. 
and then a transfer from MTSU, and then Jordan Thomas at the star, who can't really stay healthy. That's that's what we're going with. That's the pass rush better be elite, is what I will say. James Pierce and Jordan Ross and everybody else, they better be getting up to the passer over and over again because I am very worried about the back end of the secondary. Yeah, and and I think they will be well. If you're second in the SEC in sacks, are you elite? You're pretty yeah. close, right? Yeah, you're elite. Yeah. So I think they can do that again. I think they can record well over 30 sacks again. I mm-hmm. love Pierce. I, I think, look, Tyler Barron's a loss, but I, I like this defensive line. I like their front six because I think mm-hmm. they'll be a lot better at linebacker too. So the whole thing to me boils down to the five defensive backs, the two cornerbacks, a star, and the two safeties. They've got to be better. And having said all that, the defense, I believe I'm right about this, was third in the SEC in scoring defense. Mm-hmm. The offense was seventh. So the defense in that regard out outperformed yeah. Tennessee's offense. If you can finish third in the SEC in scoring defense, you've done a really good job, especially if you've got a suspect secondary. I like it. Jimmy, what can the good folks check out from you all across the internet and Tennessee sports media this week? Well, I'm, uh, I've been doing a regular podcast with uh, Dave Hooker, and so mm-hmm. those are on Wednesdays, and I've been writing a blog uh, for him, so you can check it out there. And uh, that's pretty much it right now. Um, I'll get into when the golf season starts. I'll be doing a golf talk show for the sports animal. And in the fall, again, I'll probably go ahead and do football finals if they'll have me. And uh, the Sunday morning show with Tim Irwin, Sunday Sports Sound Off. So I'll, I'll look to, forward to doing that. I'll be a lot busier mm-hmm. uh, with, with freelance stuff in the fall than I am right now. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what's cooking down the pike. Uh, get well, stay warm, Jimmy Himes. And uh, we will have to do this again very soon. Look forward to it, Chase. Thanks for having me. All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase House Podcast. Jay Stevenson, the Calhoun head football coach down there in North Georgia. I pass through it every time I come home. I'm always like, do I just, do I peel off the road? Do I just, I, I go to Bucky's for a second, fill up, and then do I just make a little bit further and just make my way over to uh, see Clay's team on my way back to Knoxville, back uh, back from home. But Clay, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good, pretty good. Cold cold morning here. Um, mm. The day's been, been pretty chilly. It's been a crazy schedule with the, with the school. We've yep. today and we're late another day, so it's throwing off a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches um, recruiting trips, you know, they were supposed to start, they could start on the road Friday and uh, snow happened Monday. So a lot of them, um, I was just talking with, with coach Factor from Tennessee today and, okay. and travel trips got all, all thrown off. So he had to drive a lot of places that he would have been flying. Um, but he's, he's managing and uh, he left today and headed South. So, um, it, but it's, it's good times for sure. There you go. When are, or when are we getting the Tennessee Hypel installs this spring? Like when are when are we getting those? I tried to pick his brain as much as we could. Man, my offensive line coach, Coach Hall, we uh, mm. tried to get as much information with the recruiters that come by as we can. My whole board is is full with with different coaches from all around the country. Just a little bit of a a blurb here and there. So um, try to try to soak it up when we can. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um, twenty three season <clears throat> has been wrapped up for for a little bit now. Not too far. Uh, just a little over a month, month and a half, uh, give or take, depending on where uh, your respective school finished in 2023. But Calhoun, when you think about the 2023 Calhoun Yellow Jackets season, what what's still gnawing you about last year? What are you still just like, can't shake this? I'm still thinking about this. 
Yeah, you know, it's um, just some missed opportunities throughout the throughout the year. When you play um, good teams and you play a good schedule, it, you know, it comes down to to a few plays, just a handful of plays. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that gnaw at me. There's there's uh, there's there's six things that my wife gets mad at me because I I feel like I talk about them in my sleep sometimes. But uh, but things that that we wish we could go back and change. But you know, the thing about sports is you get you get one chance, and um, when you don't do it. Uh, the frustrating thing about sports is you don't get to um, make that right. Mm. So, you know, we're counting down the days to, to August. We got 2023 behind us and it was a, uh, it was a year. It was, um, didn't make the playoffs for the first time and in a long time. So it was, um, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, tough, tough times, a lot of tough conversations and tough things that have kind of gone on for that last couple of months after the season, but we, we've, we've put that behind us and, and the kids, you know, the kids are, are super resilient. You know, they're ready to go the, the Monday after the, the final game, they were ready to, to get back at it. So, you know, I'm just seeing those, those guys and seeing the growth they've had from, from, you know, the end of that season all the way to now um, gives, gives you a lot of, uh, you know, hope for the future for sure. And, for the good folks all around Georgia, I mean, they are quite familiar with the JHSA uh, powerhouse, uh, the Calhoun Yellow Jackets. So to hear that they weren't in the playoffs last year, I think it was just one of those where I'm just uh, I'm looking through stuff and I'm really engulfed in what we're doing up here in uh, East Tennessee, but still watching uh, as much as I can uh, back in GHSA. NFH, NFHS network is is great uh, for for this stuff because I can I can parse through some stuff and get through and it's just really easy to watch, watch some tape and watch some some games. But when I think about y'all and just it's just kind of wild to just see Calhoun not in the playoffs. Like there's just some programs that it's just kind of jarring. So was that when did it hit you that like, oh, our season's not continuing? Was it right that night, that last Friday, or did it take some time? Yeah, no, it, you know, it pretty much it, it hit it hit instantly, you know, because we, mm-hmm. we had game the last game of the year and uh, had to win to get in and we played a really good cast team and um, they got off to a good start and we never could quite quite catch up. And uh, so we ended up losing to, to Carsville, Dalton and Cass in, mm-hmm. in our um, and Hiram was the other team that we ended up beating them, but they made the playoffs. So there was five good teams, and and unfortunately we were the the odd man out and didn't make it. So um, it was tough. You know, it was tough on you know it was uh, that senior class. It was the first uh, the first group that um, when we play, started playing five A, they were the first senior class to go all the way from um, all the way through and, and all all four years to be in five A. So it was just a tough. Uh, a tough way for them to end, but like I told them, you know, next week that I, I didn't want um, the way we finished this year to to take anything away from what they did for our program. You know, they got us through. If you go back and look at it, they got us through um, their COVID year. They got us when we bumped up to five A. So they got us through a lot of tough times at, at Calhoun. So I'm super proud of what they gave us for four years. You know, unfortunately, it just ended the way it did. So it kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth, but. Um, I definitely wanted to make sure they understood what they meant to our program and, and they, they kept the program going the right way, regardless of how it ended uh, this year. We got to get you in TSSAA, uh, Clay, because I don't know if you know how it works up here, but if you're two and eight, you're making the playoffs. Everybody makes the playoffs up here and it just goes. It's such a mess. If I, I need to be the czar. Well, I'll get you on the board here, too, to help uh, get this thing right, because GHSA makes it uh, makes it good. But it's so weird to see uh, three and nine or a team that like won one region game finds yeah. their way into the playoffs and can go on a run. 
they've tried to, they, they're taking out a classification that's coming up here yep. um, in, in Georgia. So it'll, cause we'll still have some teams there that way as well, just because the regions are so small. So yeah. with bigger regions coming next year, you know, it should, um, you know, it should, it, it, it should take that out. You know, it shouldn't, you should have to win a, a few more games than that to, to make the playoffs. But um, do you like that, that they're getting rid of seven a and going to six A is the highest classification. It helps us out this year. We're, we're going from okay. five down to three a, um, mm. they changed the, the, the multiplier rule, um, that, that, that kind of bumped us up these last two cycles. So uh, mm. I think it's for everybody. Um, I think it, it, it takes out a lot of travel for a lot of teams trying to find yeah. games. In theory, it should make the regions a little bit bigger. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, we still had to pick up four, four non-region games for this coming up year. But uh, we're excited, looking forward to it. Um, we're playing, playing teams that are um, that, we, that we have in the past played that we hadn't, yeah. got to, hadn't got to play in the last few years like Adair as well. So it's always been a, a region rivalry. We hadn't got to play them the last four years. So looking forward to, to getting back some of those teams. I like it. And uh, it's funny, too, with uh, the way that Georgia's uh, done these classifications in recent years where 7A was just uh, all the greater Atlanta high schools and then all the South Georgia powerhouses in their own little region. It was just such a weird way of doing it. But they just they live in their own bubble down there. And then you have all the the GHSA uh, or the greater Atlanta area schools uh, all come together. You know, Alabama takes the I guess the top 32 or mm. 32 biggest teams and they kind of separate and then they do classifications based on, on after that. And then Tennessee does it differently and mm. different. So it's, um, it kind of all about what, what fits and it's, it's ever changing. You know, GHSA works every year to, to get it right because when you've got, I don't know, 200 and something schools or whatever, mm. you're not going, you're not going to please everybody, but they know of tweaking things to, to kind of, to keep up with the time. So, um, like I said, we're looking forward to this next cycle and, and see what we can do. What ended up being the most difficult part of the 2023 season that you did not anticipate before the year? Yeah, well, definitely the the, the adversity at the end of the year. You know, throughout mm-hmm. the year, um, we 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 knew dealt with kind of being an issue if you're just looking at straight X and O's, and we, but we we felt good with where we were, and we felt like we were getting better as a team. You know, you want to we, we played five non-region and five regions. So our goal. You know, it's to be better game six than we are game one and then better game 11 than we were game uh, six. And obviously mm. we didn't that 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 third step there. But um, so just kind of the like you like the question you asked earlier, just the 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 the, the finality of it just being over, you know, and we're you know, most of the time we're, we're looking at playoff brackets and looking at this and, and, and just that 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 quick, abrupt ending that nobody really expected. But. Um, it also, you know, goes to show you that, that nothing's in sports, nothing's given to you just because we have made how many ever, you know, playoffs in a row. It doesn't mean that you're going to show up and get it. And I think that's something that we, that we definitely learned as a program, as players and as coaching staff of, uh, we got to make sure we're on it every day, um, th- throughout the year to, to make sure that we're, we're improving the little things in the, um, in the times right now to be ready for the season in August. I like it. Um, what position group developed the most from the where they were at in the beginning of the year to the end of the year? I think definitely our offensive line. Um, mm. We we played Blessed Trinity the first game of the year, and um, and, and it was a, it was a struggle for us up front. We had some new guys up there and um, some some new faces, and it just 
Uh, it took a little while to get their communication down, but I feel like from game one to game ten, they 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 improved uh, exponentially. You know, I feel like every every position group got better, but I think if you if you had to pick one from from improvement from from the first to the end, it, it would be them. And um, so, very proud of of Coach Hall and the offensive line of the way they because they took it on the chin that first game, and mm. they progressively got better and better and better. And I was I was really pleased with where they were at the end of the year. What is the hardest part? So when, I mean, it's funny, like Tennessee, obviously, like where you see just with how developing offensive linemen is, it's the most development sport or most developmental position in football. And you don't like when you have a freshman and sophomore coming into your system, what's the hardest thing for them to learn to develop so that when by the end of the year, they are starting to click, what are you seeing that you're like, okay, they're getting this. Is it more of it just depends on whether it's a guard center, a tackle. Is it, what about the development makes it, uh, makes it so hard uh, to learn the offensive line? Yeah. Up front, it definitely, it has to go back to fundamentals. You gotta be, you gotta be really good at the fundamentals and taking the right steps. And that's where I feel like um, that, that, that you can improve in that area um, individually, but mm-hmm. as a, you know that that's five guys that have to be working together. And then if you add a tight end and a, and a you know a W, then that's five to seven guys that have to be working together. And and, and we talk about all the time of, of those guys. Just communication is big because even if they if they do the wrong thing, if they all five do the wrong thing together, we're probably going to have a you know a a, a non negative play. But when mm-hmm. you have guys doing one thing or four guys doing right and one doing wrong because of communication error then then that 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 leads to negative play so i think just the number one you gotta they have to to get the skills right but then once they get the skills right um just the communication from the center uh all the way out to the tackles is the is the big thing up front you know if they like i said earlier if they're if they're wrong they gotta be wrong together and we can we might can do something i like it i, I like that quote they're wrong you gotta be wrong together um what was the what do you think will i mean it's early it's january we haven't done spring ball yet but when you think about guys you're losing guys that are coming up freshmen sophomores who are going to get more opportunities going into uh 2024 what do you think is going to be the biggest personnel change from last year to this year for calhoun fans that they're going to see it'll be a lot because we're, we're, we're losing uh 15 out of our 22 starters Oof. We've got some, and I say that with with a grain of salt because we've got some really good young kids that that will be uh, able to take those roles, but they've never been thrown in the fire before. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look up on the offensive side, you know, most of our line, um, we've we got two of them back. Our quarterback's gone, or uh, all four, three three of our four receivers are gone, our running back's gone. We got our tight end back and our receiver back, a couple of receivers. So, you know, offensively, kind of pretty got got pretty much depleted. And then you flip over to the defensive side, and it's, it's it's pretty similar. All of our back end secondary guys were seniors. Um, two of our linebackers were seniors, and then you know a couple up front. So it'll be a lot of new faces. And like I told the kids the other day, it's been their challenge of of this. You know, we we, we try to call it January, February, and, and March up until spring practice. We kind of try to call it the, the separation season rather than the off season. It's something we really stressed this this year, um, and, and you know. We challenge them how you're going to separate from from where you were last year, and, and as a team, how we're going to separate from the team we were last year because, you know, the the board in the weight room that has all the top maxers and in the depth chart, it's it's depleted. So there's a lot of new faces that got to be up there, and so a lot of guys are. Um, and we're looking to, you know, how are they going to separate themselves from where they were last year to to fill those roles? Because at the end of the day, 
we're going to have 22 starters on the offense and defense, and, and we've got to um, – with those guys that are in that weight room every day. So um, it's, it's been a good challenge for them, and I feel like they've – like I said at the beginning, they they are super resilient and have come back really strong and worked hard, and, and they um, I feel really good with, with, with who we'll have to replace those guys. Um, when you think about who might be the next quarterback, do you, do you already know uh, who's going to be QB1 going into the fall? Got some young guys that uh, got a, an upcoming tenth grader across land who's had a really good uh, ninth grade year. And then we got a uh, an eighth grader coming up as a ninth grader, Trace Hawkins, who um, you know both those guys will, will battle it out. And they're both winners. And, and they're the good thing about both of those guys is they are great on the field, but they're even better off the field. They're great mm. people. Um, they're they're great leaders. So that's what you want out of a quarterback. So even though they're both young. I'm really looking forward to to, to letting those guys um, compete throughout the the spring, throughout the summer, and, and see where we are, you know, leading up to August. But but both those guys, like I said, their character is is through the roof. So I, I feel good, you know, with 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 either one of those guys. What's the biggest difference between their their game and upside, depending on who you go with? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's, it's difficult to tell because um, you know one's just been in middle school, so he's in yeah. And we do a little bit different stuff. So, um, you know, getting getting our off our, our our preseason workout, preseason stuff going in the summer and the spring will really give us a test of, of, of what they can do. Because um, right now, you know, it's it's we don't know. You know, we don't yeah. know. Both have, like I said, their their biggest strengths are, and that's why I feel good moving forward. Is just their their they both have a, a really high character and are winners and, and leaders. So, um, however it goes, we're looking forward to, to those guys and they're looking forward to it as well. They're looking forward to getting there and competing. And, um, and that's what, that's what sports is about. You know, nothing's given to you. And that's kind of exactly what we're, we're trying to say for, for the whole team is, you know, you got to make sure you're going out and, and working every day and, and getting better. I like it. Um, when you look at the, every game from the 2023 season, and based on what you thought going in and how the game ultimately unfolded and how you felt Thursday night and then the game goes a different way, you get one do-over. Which one do you pick based on what you actually saw and how it actually played out? Or you're like, man, if I just got to do this one more time, based on what I saw, we're winning that game every single time. There's there's, there's six things that pop up in in a couple of those games that – you know, we didn't need all six. We just needed one to go go differently in one of the games. But you know, I have to go back to, to our Carswell game, which is a which is a huge game for us. We had them at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was military night. We had a lot of uh, a lot of our our um, military guys in the community that were here, and our, our, our national guard who got deployed uh, to to overseas here in January. So it was just a it was a special night, and we got up big on. We were up seventeen nothing at halftime, and. Um, and from that point forward, uh, you know, they came back and they beat us with, um, you know, 15 seconds to go. So we led that whole game up until about 15 seconds. So that was – that to me would be the one that, that you'd go back and, and, and try to relive if you could because it was such a, a great football game, a great high school game with two rivals and the, the stands were full, um, a great atmosphere, and, and not being able to – to, to pull that one out at the end um, was 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 de- very difficult. But with that said, we, we bounced back the next week and, and went and played a really good Hiram team and, and beat them. So, like I said, I was I was pleased where we were, and, and we just ended up, you know, um, as a, as a coach, I've got to do a better job of, of getting those guys into a position to to, to win those games. Um, 
at the end. And that's something that, that we're working on really hard and and uh, and looking forward to, to August to try to get to do it again. What has the return of Hal Lamb been like for you the last it's few months? Great. Uh, you know, I was talking about this this post <laughs> back. That's uh, that's his nephew here. That he was the the quarterback the first year that we um, that we beat Buford. We'd actually played them three mm-hmm. years. Beat us in the state championship three years in a row, and in that fourth year we finally beat them. So it's been really good. You know, it's something that that uh, that that may should have happened before, but he he got to go on and, and do something different. Um, at, at, a, at Christian Heritage private school, mm-hmm. he's been back since um, January, and I think it's just going to be good for for all the coaches and, and players as well. Just having his, um, you know, his experience and leadership, and uh, you know, all that goes with his his career here, and um, and all his, uh, like I said, his experience is going to be great for not just football, but for for all sports in, in general. I feel like. Final thing here, when you uh, think about your offseason program, what what's going to be different this year than how you approached it last year? What's one thing that you're like, I, I'm going to try this. I'm going to we're going to experiment a little bit. I think it's definitely I don't know if experiment at all, but it's just the, the, the sense of urgency, you mm. know, have that every day. And, 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 and it's something I feel like that, that every youth in America fights right now. It's just the, the, the entitlement factor, you know, that they, they see things on on social media and everywhere that that everybody has all this stuff and why can't we and then mm. you know our past success here at, at calhoun and just think that um that it just happens and, and it doesn't just happen so we got to make sure that that we're treating every day um like it's it's we're going to win a state championship today or not and, and that's kind of the the mentality that we've tried to take and um just having having that sense of urgency every day leading up like i said the separation season leading into spring practice in the summer um we'll pay dividends i feel like when we start the season i love it clay how do the good folks uh keep up with calhoun football this spring and how can they support uh, everything that you've got going uh this off season for the yellow jackets yeah so we got um yeah, we got a really good website with calhoun touchdown um and it's got all of our schedule and all of our our merchandise and a lot of good things that, that our touchdown club is doing you know i feel like that's what um separates calhoun from 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 other schools that that uh that are similar i feel like our, our touchdown club our administration and our school system is um is is truly behind the, the sports here you know in gen, talking about football they, they they do a they go above beyond um and they all those three things working together i feel like what separates calhoun and makes it a makes it a special place but check that out in our, our website you know calhounschools.org also has our, our 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 football webpage on there so a lot of good things there and then obviously twitter and uh, instagram all, all the things that the that the kids like to look at but uh, a lot of good ways to do it and like i said we're looking forward to um to to, to getting this separation season going and spring practice and, and just can't wait to to, to get summer over with and get to get to kick it off again because that's the that's the only thing that that, that kind of can can replace that feeling of, of, of losing is getting back out there to kick it. absolutely nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.